Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host Mitch Michaels and as always thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. Well, we have a lot to talk about this week in the world of football. Tyler Tesson first up to join me, my buddy from St. Louis, to discuss the NFL storylines with Drew Brees' injury, what that means for the Saints. It's Jameis time, who the best team in the NFC is, what to make of that NFC West, which is in a three-way tie right now. The Cardinals, Rams, and Seahawks, Kyler Murray's Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins. Are the Steelers the most flawed 9-0 team we've ever seen? The AFC playoff picture is crowded with my Browns in the mix at 6-3, but no guarantees there. Tua has lifted the Dolphins. We break all that down and also discuss MVP candidates, as well as Dustin Johnson's record-setting Masters Championship. And then I'm going to switch it up and talk college football with former co-worker Rob Crowder. Rob, haven't talked to him in a while. He's an Oklahoma State man. They got the Bedlam rivalry this week. We break all that down, what the keys to victory for his Cowboys are and uh, discuss the playoff picture there as well as well as other college football games on the board on the schedule this week it's tyler tesson followed by rob crowder on the money mitch effect time to start the show all right back on the money mitch effect to talk some football some other sports as well my buddy tyler tesson calling in from st louis tyler thanks for joining the show Thanks for having me, Mitch. Appreciate it. We're going to get to the NFL in just a second, but uh, we should recap the first ever, hopefully the only ever, uh, November Masters that we saw. We saw Dustin Johnson win the green jacket for the first time and uh, set a course record 20 under par. A lot happened in that tournament from start to finish and actually immediately after the finish. But DJ's been a guy that I think we've both been fans of. Everybody in golf's wanted to and maybe expected to take the leap and be, you know, a multi-major champion. It didn't happen. It hadn't happened until now. But uh, whatever it was, Tower, the breakthrough finally happened uh, at the perfect time. Yeah, I mean, it was a dominating performance. It was pretty dramatic on Sunday. I mean, it was pretty much a runaway all day. I mean, he didn't even have a sweat, but. It is an interesting year for him. I mean, I think there was one round this year. I think he shot like 10 over par or something and missed the cut. Like, it's just been an up and like He's dominated some tournaments, but he's also just played horrible this year. But he, when he's on the peak of his game, I mean, there's not too many guys out there that can beat him. It was Saturday when uh, Rory had that run of like 500 in the first like eight holes. But you looked at the scoreboard and he wasn't making up any ground. I think Dustin had like a eagle on like two or something. It was like, okay, who's beating this guy? Uh, it, it's just interesting too that like Sunday you looked at the leaderboard, a bunch of guys were in the mix, a couple shots back. You figured that some players might fold, and they did. Some raised their level, like Cameron Smith, who became the only player in I think Masters history to be under under seventy four rounds in a row. But it didn't matter. There was nothing anybody could have done, good or bad, to catch Dustin. I mean, it really was like you said, just a complete runaway. Yeah, I've, you know, you're Cameron Smith. You've never really had a great run at a major and probably the best, you know, four days of golf the guy's ever played and still, you know, no four shots back. And, yeah, never really felt like he had a shot at all on Sunday. I thought his uh, his demeanor made a big difference, how even keel he is. Just doesn't get too, you know, up or down depending on the moment. Looks like he's just having a stroll out there. So I think that's helped him. And, and I do think, you know, DJ's in, in his golfing prime. 36 probably has the next five, six years to really, you know, go after it and win multiple majors because I don't think he's done winning. 
No, absolutely. He's got a lot left. And I, I think, like, for a guy who's as good as he is, he kind of stays under the radar. I, mean, I know he's had, his, you know, some issues and with Paulina, he gets in the spotlight. But, I mean, you always hear about, you know, Bryson, you hear about Rory and Kepka, you know. I feel like Dustin Johnson's always just kind of, you know, under the spotlight a little bit, and then he shows up when it matters. Yeah, him and Paulina actually took off immediately with Wayne and the boys and went to St. Bart's to celebrate. So hope hope they make it back in one piece after that because uh, <laughs> that's going to be a good time. Uh, but no, props to him. Uh, I don't know what it, I don't know what I was more surprised at. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say more surprised, but what I found more you know pleasant to watch. Tiger actually finishing finishing strong on Sunday after he shot that ten. Or, you know, Bryson's complete disaster. Like that, that was also pleasant in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, people thought Bryson was going to go out there and it wasn't, you know, they, everybody <laughs> thought he was going to be the one running away with it like DJ did. And he called the course a par case, 67. So. I mean, that was like, <laughs> and then he flamed out. I mean, you can't really, you know, you can't write that check calling a course like the Masters, Augusta National, a par 67. Yeah, I mean, those courses are the way they are for a reason. You know, they're going to will do whatever they can to try yeah. and tame somebody like that down. But, yeah, I think it just goes, you know, Bryson's going to have his weekend where he's going to dominate because he can just hit the ball so much farther than everybody else. But if he's off by just a little bit, I mean, he is just going to get destroyed, which happens this weekend. Yeah, not not quite the level of putting, and uh, of course, like uh, Augusta, you know, a long drive doesn't help you like it would at Wingfoot, where he won. Uh, but it was cool also to see Tiger, you know, finish strong again. Nothing was going to make a difference in who was going to win this tournament, but most golfers, including a guy like Tiger, maybe a few years ago, you put up a big number like that. That's going to be when the wheels come off. But to see him finish strong and see him just kind of seem mellow for the first time in his career, some pleasant signs for his golf career going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, most any normal golfer, if they have a 10, you know, out there, they're going to have a complete meltdown and to see them kind of strong. It was, I saw something to where Bubble won the Masters the following year. He had a 10 on the same hole Tiger did, and then he won it the following year. Wow. I don't know. I just happened to see that, but I was like, what are the odds of that? Yeah, see, I remember the one year Spieth put up that huge number too. Uh, it just it goes to show you that even the best golfers in the world uh, are just like anybody that goes out there can have a bad couple holes, and except everybody yeah. on national television is watching you. Uh, it was a good Masters, and it was something to kind of get us through and get us led into a a pretty good football week too. Uh, Tyler, as we look at what the NFL was, uh, you know, put on put on tap week ten. Some of the storylines here, we were talking before we went on, it's been a great NFL season where they've kind of had, you know, COVID under control as much as possible. The games have gone on without a hitch, and the product on the field has been, for the most part, entertaining and unpredictable. Starting with the NFC, I mean, I have no idea who the best team in the conference is. I think the playoffs could be like a March Madness feel where any six or seven teams could make a run. It's a pretty interesting thing to know this far into the season that, the NFC is completely wide open. Yeah, and then you look at the NFC East, and it's <laughs> yeah. completely That's why I said six or seven. Yeah, the six yeah. that get into the playoffs not in the NFC East are primed to make a run. Yeah. Yeah, and that extra playoff team, I think, is going to make things a lot more interesting this year. Just, you know, it seems like there's always one team that's pretty good that doesn't get in. So it's, I think it's 
I'm curious to see how this is going to go, if it's something they're going to keep moving forward. But, yeah, it's – I don't know right now. I mean, with Breeze getting hurt, I'd expect the Bucks to take that division. And, I don't know, for some reason I think Seattle will end up taking their division. They're just – Russell Wilson's just too good. I don't – yeah, I don't know. I, I'm a big Kyler Murray fan. I just don't know if they're going to be able to hold on to that division. Yeah, uh, just looking at it first, I mean, you mentioned seven playoff teams. The other great thing about that is it's going to make the top teams, whoever gets out in front as the weeks follow, play that much harder because there's only one team with a bye. Huge advantage this year, like unbelievably big. Uh, as far as the first thing you said, Bucks with Breeze's injury, a huge injury. But the fact that Tampa like lost both those games to the Saints – that's like an underrated part of this. Now they have to be that much, you know, they have to make up basically two games. So I know it's Jameis' yeah. time and everybody is going to, you know, hold on to their hats <laughs> for whatever that is. But if he can just, you know, if they play 500 football, if they play, you know, two, if they can go two and one in the next three, that should be okay to just give you a chance to still win the division. Now I don't know if they can. I know they do play the Falcons coming up, which is kind of good. But it's, it's going to be, you know, that's the injury that opens everything up because Breeze with a with a collapsed lung with broken ribs on both sides of his body, they're not going to be able to get him back on the field for at least probably a month. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, I mean, in that last game against the Bucks, I mean, they just obliterated him. I mean, that game wasn't even. You close. saw the stat; I mean, it was it like just... they had the most. It, it, the advanced metrics said it was basically like the most one-sided victory in the last like twenty years. Like all stats yeah, pointed yeah. to just domination. You know, Breeze hasn't had, like, a great year for him. I mean, they're just a good team this year. You know, like, his numbers aren't where they usually are, but they're a solid team. And I think if Jameis can come in and just keep them 500 and play well, you know, gives Breeze a little extra time to rest up just to make sure he's healthy for the playoffs because they are a team that could make a run because, you know, they got a solid defense too this year. Yeah, the Bucks on the other side are just a team that you have to – Kind of scratch your head with some of the performances they've had twice against the Saints and then that Thursday night against the Bears. Obviously, there's a lot of talent at the skill position. I just wonder if you know a certain receiver might not just completely torpedo that locker room. <laughs> yeah, that, the thing with the Bucks though is I I just you know I know they've had a couple rough games, but they just seem like a team who are going to continue to get better and better as the season goes on. I mean. It's Brady's first year in the system with Brazilians. You know, they're getting, you know, either Godwin or Evans has pretty much been hurt, you know, one or the other all year. You can obviously see Gronk's getting better and better every week and starting to make an impact. So I think if they stay healthy, you know, they're going to be a team that could make a run here. Especially with their defense. Um, you know, the Saints have a, have a defense that's getting better, but the Bucks have some serious size and some playmakers on that side. Uh, Tyler Tesson here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, you mentioned Arizona. Arizona-Buffalo, the game that ended in the Kyler Murray to DeAndre Hopkins, Hail Mary, just one of the best games we've seen all season. I think right now, and it's funny because everybody likes to say who's the MVP at, at certain benchmarks, and it, it, just, it just shows you how much it could change week to week. But through 10 weeks, it's crazy. But I might be looking at Kyler and Josh Allen, the two quarterbacks in that game at the top of my list through 10 weeks with still time for Russ Mahomes and those guys to make moves. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought Josh Allen would be, you know, statistically the top quarterback this year. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, Buffalo was solid, solid team. They're very good and they're going to be tough to beat. And, 
you know, you look at Arizona, they were terrible before Kyler Murray got there. And yeah. you bring in a coach who got fired from Texas Tech. And do you, now yeah, do you remember three. Do, do you remember when everybody was like, why are they getting rid of Josh Rosen to get Kyler Murray? You remember how funny that was? Yeah. yeah, and I don't even know if Josh Rosen's even in the league anymore at this point. Is Tampa's practice squad quarterback, so he's learning from Brady. Uh, behind uh, St. Louis's own Blaine Gabbert on the depth chart. I mean, like, people thought it was amazing what Russell Wilson could do, being, what, I think he's 5'10", 5'11", but, you know, Kyler Murray's even smaller, and, I mean, he is just tearing it up. I mean, he's getting better every single week. It's it's pretty amazing to see with getting a guy at Hopkins' level, you know, the impact it can make. Yeah, I saw something along the lines of if he wasn't, if he didn't throw a pass, he'd still be, like, a top five to ten running back in fantasy football forms in terms of just what he produces with his legs uh but he's he's electric and uh deandre hopkins making that catch it, it's it's got to be it's got to be tough for the houston texans right because you, you're terrible this year <laughs> and every time hopkins does anything good that's all people say is how stupid the texans were to trade him oh yeah and then you already fired the guy that made the trade <laughs> yeah yeah, and the Dolphins have both their first uh, two round picks too. So and the Dolphins are looking good while they just watch the Texans lose. Uh, the Bills, I mean, losing that game, it's it's gonna it's gonna. There's never a good loss, but you can kind of hold your head high that you lost on the road and you know in a on the last second play of the game. They've looked good all year. They are uh, keeping up with the AFC arms race, which we'll get to in a little bit. I uh, I I do agree with something you said earlier. I like the Cardinals. The future's bright. They've got a lot of stud playmakers, and they're only going to get better, you'd think, with better drafting and signing. But that division is brutal, and I just don't know if I trust them with seven games left to have to outlast both the Seahawks and the Rams. I mean, Russ is amazing, and the Rams, if Goff doesn't screw it up, I feel like their size, their you know, their strength, they may be the safest, the boring choice to win the division. It's going to be tough to, to claim this division, whoever it is. I just don't know if Arizona's ready to take that next step yet. Yeah, and, you know, think about the Rams last year. I mean, everybody was in the NFL was saying the team's trending down. The, yeah. They They're... make a huge mistake by signing golf. They get rid of Gurley. They have no salary cap room. And they've had a nice bounce back year. I mean, they're, you know, golf's doing well. I mean, I wouldn't say he's turning it up by any means, but he's having a good year. And they're, you know, they still aren't not all that defense is pretty freaking good. So, I mean, they're, I would say they're one of the surprising teams for me because I thought they were going to be terrible. Jalen Ramsey, as well, has proved he's worth you know every penny that he gets. Yeah, doing a great job on DK Metcalf on Sunday. Um, my Jared Goff take is pretty straightforward. It's not. It's not anything that's going to surprise you. He can be confident and he can make good throws when he's sticking to Sean McVay's game plan. When you know he's in his ear, probably telling him Tyler exactly what to do. But when it breaks yeah. down, when a team blitzes, when they disguise coverage, it hasn't gone well. I mean, we saw that in the in the Dolphins game. So that's where, if you're a Rams fan, you got to be worried just a little bit that if we need Goff to kind of make a plan B, make a throw when it breaks down, I'm still not on, in the camp that that's going to happen consistently. Which is pretty amazing that their offense is doing so well because, I mean, you look at it, they don't really have anyone you would consider like a pro bowler, I don't think, on their offense. You know, like running back is pretty much a committee receivers is kind of guys that just you know low draft pits or you know like Robert Woods who just bounced for a lot of the league and yeah. was never really that great of a player their tight ends are fine but you'd never say they're pro bowl caliber it's, it's pretty yeah. amazing you know what Sean McVay's done 
And they're going to feel that Wentworth injury too. I mean, the line is uh, is getting a little thin. Uh, and, and just a note on the Seahawks. I know they've you know struggled a little bit recently. They're six and three now, still tied in that three-way tie for first. You know, Russ didn't play well. I don't expect that to be a regular thing this year. I'd actually take this loss not quite as bad as the others because the defense looked a little better. Like, that's what's going to be. If the Seahawks falter in the playoffs, I'm fully convinced it's going to be because of their defense. So it was good to see they played a little better this week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you got to think, you know, it's a little bit different for them this year too. I mean, they're usually unbeatable at home, and you don't quite have that home field advantage like you normally do. But yeah. I, they've got a great shot going to the Super Bowl from that FC. So looking at the AFC, Tyler, uh, and I mean this in the most honest way possible, do you think the Steelers are the most unimpressive 9-0 and team we've seen? <laughs> I really do. There's just It's kind of just like their mentality they've always had. Like they somehow draft great receivers all the time. And, you know, their running game is not that great this year, which used to be, you know, their staple. And somehow their defense is really good this year, and they're just they just can't lose. I mean, I would have never guessed they'd be nine and zero. Yeah, it's crazy that the two, you know, if you look at the AFC, it's Ravens and Steelers for points allowed, the fewest in the league. And for Pittsburgh, they've actually weathered some injuries too, and they've been able to keep it going. Uh, I know the schedule hasn't been the hardest, but they just beat who's in front of them. It's a lot of times not flashy. And you notice things, too, like when they get up, they just kind of put it in cruise control. The scary thing would be for the league that Ben hasn't even looked that great. I don't know if he's capable of looking as great as he had in the past, but there might be another level for this team to get to. Yeah. Mike Tomlin might be the most underrated coach in the league, too. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty confident the guy's never been under 500. Yeah, that's true. He's been – I think he's been 8-8, but he's never been under 500. Right, and the fact, I mean, think of all the drama with Bell, with Brown, how many times Big Ben's been hurt. Like, yeah. you know, think of all those years where they've been on yeah. their third-string quarterback and finished 8-8. Eight and eight. Like, it's it's pretty remarkable, the job and the longevity that they yeah. had. I've been critical of them losing games to teams that they should beat pretty much every year. It almost happened this year with the Cowboys, where they just <laughs> seem to play down to the competition. But they've had to, you know, win games when they were outclassed. Uh, the Brown drama. Le'Veon Bell pretty much, from what I heard, quit on the team at halftime of his last game. But they find a way to just keep it moving and keeping players buying in and not, you know, having the locker room melt down, which we see too many times. So you lose the locker room. I mean, look at what's happening in New York right now and for the Jets. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think he's he's as good of a coach as there is in football. And uh, the culture, everyone tosses that word around culture, and you know, doesn't mean a lot in a lot of in a lot of senses. But they've definitely got something that works there. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, the Jets. You talk about them, that's just an absolute train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I I I have to say, we'll see how the last seven games go. I still think they're on pace to be the worst team of all time. I was pretty confident about that a couple weeks ago, and then they played the Patriots close. My argument was. You know, I watched all those Browns 0-16 games, and they could have won three or four of those games. That was the first yeah. game where the Jets could have won. So, we'll see. Yeah. Still and, on pace. And the Adam Gates hire was the one. I mean, I don't think there was one person when that happened that was thinking that this is a good hire. I mean, it's, I just, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. I really think Peyton Manning needs to be, you know, 
increased in his all-time legacy is the fact that he got Adam Gase two jobs just by being friends with him because that's just <laughs> right. insane. That's insane. Um, all right, more teams I want to talk about. You know, the, we're talking about all these new contenders and how exciting it could be this year. And the Chiefs are just ho hum, eight and one, hanging in there, and uh, I think flying under the radar, which is a perfect position for that team to be in. Yeah, I mean they're they're pretty much the same team they were last year. Um, you know, I think they're even better at the running back position now. I think Bell adds a you know an extra dimension there. He's not you know, full-time starter, but he's a talented guy. You can't argue that. And their defense is still strong. And when you have Mahomes and all the receivers, Kelsey Hill, and I swear there's a new receiver that catches a touchdown there every week. It's pretty amazing what Mahomes can do. I mean, he's just just a talent that, you know, there's no one even comparable to right now. Yeah, we talked about some of the trendy picks, you know, for MVP with, uh, you know, who it is. Mahomes has got to be up there because, and I think he he is climbing to a favorite position for as good as Kyler and Josh Allen and, and Aaron Rodgers have been. Uh, Twenty five touchdowns, one interception this year, and no one's really even talking about him. Like it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy how we expect him to be good, and he is. Yeah, and he got runs for a ton of yards and touchdowns too. On top of it, you know, he's not just throwing the ball. I mean, it's yeah, I think it's just. There's unrealistic expectations on him, and people just forget about him at this point. Would you say that uh, you know all discussions about teams, a team like the Baltimore Ravens, who people are down on, Lamar Jackson, the offense is sputtered. Do we have to give them a pass this week because they played in like a natural disaster monsoon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean this week I think you give him a pass, but he hasn't been very good most of the year, though. Yeah. I don't know. He doesn't have a great receiving core. You know, they don't have, you know, Ingram was unbelievable last year and hasn't been the same this year. So I think, you know, without the running game going to open things up, I think it's made a big difference. And he's still getting a lot of rushing yards, but he is definitely not airing the ball out like he was last year. And, I mean, that game against the Chiefs, they got just annihilated. Yeah, it was that Colts game two weeks ago. They punted every drive they had in the first half. Now, they won the game, but uh, it was it was not pretty. I think they're a team that, yeah, they, they, for whatever reason, struggle against top teams, which we can get into at some point. But the big thing is they really can't play that well from behind. And, and you started to see that in the Patriots game. I know it was raining like crazy, but once New England got that lead, you were just, you know, didn't really have many, much optimism that, that the Ravens were going to make their move. Uh, it just brings me to my point of how crowded the AFC playoff picture is. I mean, here I am, you know, happy that the Browns are 6-3 and three for the first time in pretty much my lifetime, and they wouldn't make the playoffs a 17 playoff if it started today. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, the Browns, and I think, what, the Titans were in first place in the NFC, I think, three weeks ago, and now they're out of a playoff spot. <laughs> it's just so tight right now, but... Yeah, Browns are having a great year, especially with Beckham getting hurt off the year. They're still going. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously super pumped with how they've how it's gone. Uh, the first thing is Stefanski shows you just what a competent coach can do. What a competent coach, not named Freddie <laughs> Kitchens, can do. Uh, the big talk. I mean, Nick Chubb is as good as any running back in football, and Hunt's probably in the top ten. Baker Mayfield's development, or lack thereof, some say, has been a big talking point. But Stefanski's pretty much not putting it in his hands. Now, he might have to make some plays, probably will have to make some plays, some throws to beat some good teams, you know. But uh, the way it stands right now, he is 
Kevin Savansky's offense is run first, and there is no mistake about that. He is going to be a run-heavy team, and, and Baker is more of a game manager at this point. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. You know, you talk about bringing in a competent coach. I mean, you know, with Beckham and Baker, I mean, you really haven't heard any controversies there at all. So, I mean, there's definitely keeping things under wraps, and, you know, the culture must be improving. But, yeah, when you have Chubb and Hunt, there's no reason not to run the ball all the time (laughs) as much as possible. I mean, both those guys are, you know, premier running backs in the league. Nick Chubb costing costing – Gamblers and fantasy football players, but mostly gamblers, thousands of dollars with that decision to run out of bounds. So that was uh, yeah. that was fortunate. Um, no, the, the the playoff picture is huge because you have the Raiders at six and three with a huge offensive line, and again, Carr's in kind of that game manager role with they just want to run the ball. Uh, the Colts, you know, Titans have been underachieving six and three. The Colts at that six and three spot, I feel like if they had any other quarterback other than Philip Rivers, I'd be on board with them making a lot of noise in the AFC because their defense is disgusting, but just hard to trust old man Rivers at this point. Yeah, they're another, you know, pretty phenomenal story this year, though. I mean, another team, the, the running back position, that's been, you know, in and out all year. You know, they have T.Y. Hilton, he's been hurt, and, you know, they just don't have, like, a bunch of top offensive players, and somehow they're just getting it done this year. I mean, what Rivers is – Gotta be close to forty at this point, and still having a pretty good year. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, he's gotta he's gotta keep paying for that family. I mean, he has to work for another <laughs> five, ten years, I think. Uh, yeah. No, they uh, they've been the pleasant surprise, but I think the biggest one has to be the Dolphins uh, at six. Their six and three is pretty remarkable, and, and it's even more remarkable that they made the QB change on a two game winning streak to Tua, the third of the three rookie quarterbacks to make a debut this year. All three have looked good. Something special about that guy, and for those of us that watch college football, I was I was high on him the entire time. My faith never wavered, and uh, I've never I've never heard of the Miami fans. The few ones that I do know, this excited because it's like the first time since Dan Marino they got somebody back there they can believe in. Yeah, I mean he looks great too, and you can just tell the team believes in him. It's just like a different type of team with him out there versus Patrick and. I remember when they hired I'm, what's the guy the coach's last name? Flores. Is Flowers. Yeah. Flores. Flores. Yeah. yeah. I remember when they said he was like Belichick always said he was one of the best coaches he ever had under him. And last year they weren't good, but they played hard. I, like if you ever watched their games, like they fought yeah. tooth and nail to the end. So it's it's you could see it happening overnight, and it's. You know, it's pretty cool to see a coach come in and change the culture so quickly, and then now you get a good quarterback and crazy things happen. But they're another team. You know, they don't have a ton of weapons either, like for Tua to be working with. It's pretty remarkable. I think they're on, what, their fourth running back right now? Yeah, they cut Jordan Howard this week too. I mean, they're, they are uh, just on Flores. He's also like the only coach that just doesn't impersonate Bill Belichick, and they all just flame out when they try to do that. He's kind of his own man, and it's worked. I was really impressed with them last year. Everybody said they should tank. They were terrible. They win games down the stretch. They beat uh, the Patriots the last game of the year. That cost them home field. So they're going to fight tooth and nail. And uh, that defense is, is actually pretty underrated with uh, you know, Xavier Howard and those guys. So I'm, I'm impressed with Tua. Uh, unfortunately, it's another team for, for my Browns to battle with for the uh, playoffs. But <laughs> you look at it, I mean, that's like nine teams that we're looking at this year, you know, that, that have a legit chance to make it. So, uh 
I'm excited. I'm going to see what happens there. Um, all right, before we go on to us, uh, just looking at the at the games this week, Tyler, and wrap this up. Tyler Tesla on the Money Mitch Effect. What's your final prediction for NFC East division winning record? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, because right now, 3-5-1 is in first place. Right. Man, I feel like somebody's got to get to 7-9. I, I think that might do it. I feel like that's probably going to be it. 7-9. and nine. Wow. Uh, well, if it's the Eagles, I think it's going to be 6-9-1. and one. <laughs> I feel like that might be the record. Because they have that tie sitting there. I think they're, you know, I think it could be tough for them. They look terrible. Um, you know, yeah. that, like the Cowboys have the injury excuse. The Giants and, and Washington football team have a talent excuse. But there really is no excuse for the Eagles to at least, you know, win their division games. Yeah, I mean, if the Eagles don't win that division, you've got to think long and hard if Carson Wentz is your quarterback long term because there is <laughs> or absolutely Doug no reason. Your coach. Yeah, or yeah, but there is absolutely no reason they should win. I mean, if the Giants win, you know, with pretty much nobody, their best player hurt. I mean, they're just their roster is just terrible with the rookie head coach. Or you have. Alex Smith coming back, and if he leads Washington this division, I mean, it would be a remarkable story if that happened. My favorite moment of the NFL season is still probably in that Bengals-Eagles tie when uh, Doug Peterson, who wrote a book called Fearless, punted the ball in the 40 with 30 seconds left to preserve a tie. <laughs> That's, that, that definitely takes the cake for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, all right, before we wrap this up, I was just looking at – this week's slate of games and uh, they're pretty exciting you know I, I do have to say we've been waiting for a good Thursday game for a while and I think we finally got one with uh, Arizona and Seattle so that's going to get us going but what do you think about that game and some of the other ones that uh, we should expect this week uh, some some very good tilts for sure I was betting man I think I would probably take Seattle this week Arizona's coming off a huge win Seattle, you know, coming off the loss to the Rams, I think it's just set up for a Seattle blowout on Thursday. Yeah, that's a good call, especially given the fact that it seems to have followed Arizona, right? They have big wins early, and then they lost to Detroit at home. They had that, you know, loss to the Dolphins. Yeah, Seattle at home, it's crazy. The line moved down to Seattle. I think people are digging this Arizona team maybe a little too much. Uh, Seattle is kind of after it. I'm worried about the Browns, though, Browns-Eagles. I think I, I shouldn't be, but that line's sitting at about three right now only for the Browns at home. And more rain, more terrible weather. So expect a low-scoring game. Yeah, whenever those lines don't make sense, weird things happen. I feel like it, it's all the time. Yeah, and it's funny, too. New England plays Houston. New England back from the dead. They almost lost to the Jets on Monday Night Football. They go from that to pull that win out, beat the Ravens in an upset. I mean, it's probably not going to get them to the playoffs, but they beat a really bad Houston team this week, and they're back to 500. Yeah, yeah, we, we didn't talk about them. What do you, I mean, you hear all this, you know, was it Brady or was it Belichick now that Brady's still doing, you know, pretty much the same thing he's done forever, but now the Patriots are struggling without him. You think it's just the roster? You know, they had a lot of guys that decided not to play this year, and obviously Cam's not Brady, but yeah. it, it's definitely a, def, a different feeling New England team, and the defense just isn't the same as it usually is when they're dominating. 
Yeah, it's the roster, but he picks the roster. Like it's not like right. that's, that's. I mean, I, yeah, like Bill Belichick, the coach, is struggling because of Bill Belichick, the GM. You know, and obviously the opt outs hurt him, uh, maybe more than any other team. But you know, they had a chance to draft. I mean, Jacoby Myers has looked good, but a lot of good young receivers in this league, and uh, the Patriots, you know, whiffed on all of them. I don't know if Nikhil Harry is going to be the answer. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, that one's just been interesting to watch and see the critics that, you know, usually Belichick's praised by everybody, and this is the one year I feel like people are kind of going after him. So there's three I'm sure of, Brady's enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got to be loving it. Probably, It's probably the best part other than winning for the Bucks is watching the Patriots flounder. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, there's like four games I didn't mention, really good games on tap. Uh, Green Bay Indy is a uh, is a pretty good one in the late slot with the Colts, you know, trying to get to seven and three. Green Bay is has been up and down. Rodgers just carrying that team like always. You have Tennessee Baltimore too. Uh, that's an earlier game, and uh, I think the loser of that game is going to be in some trouble. You know, dropping to six and four suddenly on quite a bit of a losing streak. Yeah. Yeah, Rodgers is. I, there are a lot of people kind of counting Rodgers out at the beginning of the year, saying they thought his career was going to start going downhill this year. But, I mean, he came out playing as well as he ever has, and Green Bay's having a great year. I mean, I don't. The rest of that division isn't very good, but, I mean, they're. They're a contender in the NFC for sure, and I, I don't know. I think they're going to be too much for Indy this weekend, but we'll see. Yeah, Indy might be a little bit of fool's gold. They have some impressive wins, but this is this is a step up for them. Um, the uh, primetime slate, which uh, you know, to go Thursday, Sunday, and Monday, it's about as good consistently across the board. Sunday night's the rematch with uh, with uh, Chiefs in uh, Las Vegas. Vegas beating the Raiders, beating the Chiefs, their only loss of the year. I would expect the Chiefs to bounce back and win a, a locked-in Chiefs or a touchdown favorite on the road. And then Monday night, Tampa Rams. A big statement for that one because if, if Tampa wins that game, now you're thinking not only are they probably going to you know in, in line to catch the Saints but maybe even get that one seed. But you mentioned earlier the Rams yeah. win this game and it's like, well, we have a 7-3 and three Rams that are throwing their hat in the race as the M- NFC contenders. Yeah, where's that game at? I forget. It's in Tampa. Because apparently Tampa, you have to give yeah. Tampa like five primetime games this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would expect Tampa to win that one. I, I, I think they'll take it. It's, yeah, and that's going to put some pressure on New Orleans for sure. With uh, Breeze out, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, yeah with, I, with Jameis getting his first start, it is Atlanta at home. So if it's a disaster this week, it's not going to go well at all. This is about as Atlanta's good of a first not, Atlanta's not terrible either. I mean, look no, at all those games. The first three yeah, games, they just blew. You yeah, know? their offense isn't terrible. Their defense is pretty weak. I mean, I shouldn't say pretty weak, yeah. but it's not great. So, for in that regard, I, it could be a bad thing too because you know if they if Atlanta scores, then there's some pressure on Jameis to put some points up. But yeah, I, I think Tampa wins on uh, on the primetime game against the Rams. I just don't know how Goff is going to be able to put up enough points against them. Uh, so we'll see. Should be exciting. Uh, Tyler Tesson, blast as always talking to you. Uh, real last thing, is there a better was there a better move in the in the baseball offseason than a team um, you know needing a youthful presence behind the uh, behind the in the dugout than uh, the White Sox getting the youthful Tony Larusa to coach their team? <laughs> I I did not see that one coming. 
No. That surprised me. I couldn't believe it. Apparently the Arizona Police Department didn't see that coming either because there were some <laughs> questions still remaining. But uh, the first thing, I, I mean, it didn't help that ESPN picked about the oldest photo you could find of him. Um, right. But I, I, I did not see that coming. I thought it, he was done managing. I mean, he managed the White Sox about 40 years ago. Now he's back. Yeah, it's, I mean, they've got a good team, too. That's the, the interesting part about it. So I wonder, you know, if he's just thinking, we've got a year or two in the tank here, if we, I can get a World Series and just hang <laughs> them up again. Uh, who knows? But, man, at that age, I don't know why you'd want to go through that grind. He had a storybook ending in St. Louis, and he decides that's not enough, coaching a team that's very much not like Tony La Russa. <laughs> so, right. So we'll see. Uh, Tyler Tesson, this was fun. Appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, thanks, as always, for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Yep, thanks for having me, Mitch. Appreciate it. All right, huge thanks again to Tyler for coming on the show. Can't wait to see how the NFL storylines shake out as we get to the winter months here. But it's going to be good. We know that. Can't wait. Thanks again to Tyler for hopping on the show. All right, now it's time to go to college football. Rob Crowder and I were co-workers way back in the day. Oklahoma State is one of his biggest passions. And uh, this rivalry game with Oklahoma, he's got a lot to say about that. As well as where we're looking in the playoff picture. And uh, some of our favorite games this week. Ohio State has Indiana, a top 10 matchup there. Uh, We get into Michigan struggles, which uh, you just really hate to see. (laughs) But there's a lot to discuss. Heisman favorites as well. It's Rob Crowder talking college football now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, back on the Money Mitch Effect uh, with someone who hasn't been on the show in a while, but I felt it was time to talk a little college football. My boy, Rob Crowder, coming in in a big week for his Oklahoma State Cowboys as well. Rob, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, thanks, man. Always a pleasure. And, uh, you know, you could get me talking about Bedlam any day of the week, so I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, that's uh, well, that's optimistic because uh, we don't want to get into the past. We're just looking towards the future of the rivalry, so we won't we won't dig up uh, past moments. I think that might be a good thing. Yeah, I stupidly pulled up Winsipedia to see the head-to-head records and stuff, and I just you know was like, oh, their biggest win streak was nineteen, and ours was two. Okay, <laughs> I'm off. Two. <laughs> um, you know, I I want to get to Oklahoma State in a second, but there's this bigger picture talk right now with college football. I mean, there's been issues with, you know, COVID getting, you know, canceling some games and some stuff getting reshuffled. I think we're in the similar mindset here. I'm just appreciative of, you know, the effort that the players are putting forth and any football that we get is good. Uh, and I've been, you know, pleasantly, you know, surprised with how much football we've got. And, uh, you know, I'm going to take opportunities like Bedlam and, you know, Ohio State playing Indiana this week and uh, Michigan sucking every week. I'm just going to take that with uh, some joy. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm not going to lie. When they announced all of this, I didn't think it was going to go this smoothly at all. I thought there was going to be entire teams getting wiped out. Mm-hmm. And so far, I think we've been pretty darn fortunate. And luckily, I think some student students uh that aren't athletes have been you know playing their part too and you know protecting the players so yeah um, yeah well i do think that the the conferences that have handled it the best schedule wise have been your big 12 the acc and the sec in terms of just giving yourself weeks to play with 
we saw with the Pac-12 starting and the Big Ten having some cancellations that they can't really make up. So that's actually what worries me the most as a Buckeye fan, you know, is that, you know, we had a game cancel against Maryland. And now that because of Maryland, you know, cases and whatnot. Now, if that happens one or two more times, now it's like, can they even qualify for the championship game and whatnot? So that's the concern for me. The Big 12, you don't necessarily have that with weeks in between and some flexible scheduling. Yeah, I think you're right on that. I think there's a bigger concern in the Big 12. There's just not quality this year. And I think no matter who comes out of that conference, they're not going to get a bid in the playoff. But to that measure, I think they have done a good job of scheduling. I mean, the OSU-Baylor game got postponed till like almost uh, like the championship weekend, like the week before. So they've actually had to move the championship game back a week. So I, I think, you know, building in all those bye weeks is pretty crazy uh, at first. But now it's really been a blessing in disguise. You know, some teams have even gotten three-week breaks. OSU is definitely one of those. And that hasn't happened since, the ninth, like, 1918. So, you know, it's definitely creating unique situations. But I think coaches and players have been surprisingly good at, at being able to adapt. But that being said, I don't think teams have been able to get into any rhythms whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, just because you, you never know if you're even going to play the game that's, you know, hours away. There's been some that have been called that morning. So, yeah, it's definitely tricky, but, uh, you know, uh, hats off to the people that have been able to run the operations and, and such. Was the UCLA-Cal game? Oh, uh, man. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. just going to bring that up. They played – both teams had games canceled because of COVID uh, and with Utah and Arizona State, and they just said, hey, let's play each other Sunday morning, 9 a.m., some brunch before <laughs> – before and while an NFL games are going on, the Masters, and there's this college football game at the Rose Bowl taking place, which UCLA won handily. So that game did happen. Yeah, it's, I mean, good for them. I, I, I'm kind of surprised that hasn't happened more, but completely understandable with, you know, kind of the operations that happen, have yeah. to happen behind them. Yeah, you mentioned the, yeah. the playoff picture with, you know, unfortunately how it looks for the Big 12. It's, it's a double, you know, kick in the groin because – the Pac-12 isn't gonna doesn't look like it's gonna play enough games potentially, and also their top doesn't look quite as good either. And also, I mean, look, I'm not gonna we're not gonna make this a big conference for a small conference argument now. There's too many important things in college football to talk about, but teams like Cincinnati and BYU really, unfortunately, don't have any chance of making a playoff without non-conference games. So, I mean, that's another I think added you know, elimination because I just don't see any of those teams are going to appear. So the path was pretty open for the big 12, but as you said, you know, quality Oklahoma out of the gates, not really good. Your, your Cowboys losing to Texas in a game they, they could have had. So there's just been a lot of that Kansas state losing to a non-conference, you know, a non-power five team as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think unless Oklahoma state runs the table from here on out or Iowa state does, but I, I feel like Iowa State, since they also lost yeah. a non-con, a bad one too. You know, I think I think I like it has to be Oklahoma State or no one else. And I think based on how I've seen voters do it, there's no chance in hell we're going to make it, regardless of what shakes, because we're still behind a two-loss Georgia team, and that says a lot. You know, so and I, I think you're dead on with the non-con team, or the sorry, the independents and the mid-majors, like. Liberty's having a hell of a run, you know, so is BYU, so is, you know, as you mentioned, Cincy. But right now, unless Clemson, Bama, Iowa State shoot themselves in the foot, I can't imagine anyone else sneaking in. You know, it's going to be a one-loss SEC team, I think, 
you yeah. know, maybe a four. Well, Notre Dame yeah. winning that game too is the worst case scenario for a lot of these teams because they lose the ACC. They're in the ACC this year. They're going to most likely play a rematch because they just do top two teams. There's no divisions this year. Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence, which is, I mean, no team wants a built-in excuse, but that's a pretty big one. So if Clemson comes yep. back, beats them in the ACC title game. They're both, they both have one loss. The doomsday scenario would be if Florida beats Alabama in the SEC title game, you have two one-loss teams in the SEC and two in the ACC. Then it's like, okay, what do, what do we do now if Ohio State goes undefeated and we fill this out? So there's, there's still some chaos, and maybe that makes us feel good that it's somewhat of a normal year because we're just going to argue again. It'd be like, a, it'd be like some normalcy. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah, totally. And honestly, like Notre Dame, I, I can't see them stumbling until maybe that conference champ game. So, uh, you know, UNC could surprise them, but it's definitely not Syracuse. And Wake's offense was crazy last week, but yeah. um, I don't think that's going to happen against Notre Dame. No, no. Um, I, I do want to mention, go back to your team as we get into the Bedlam game. Uh, you know, Oklahoma State lost that game to Texas. They bounced back and beat K-State a couple weeks ago. Um I, that clip, I mean, Gundy yelling at the band was maybe the hardest I've laughed in college football in a long time. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 definitely one of like those that was gossip. the old man. That was the old man yelling at kids. Like that was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really was. I feel like he's kind of like in that weird, uh, you know, kind of pantheon of just ridiculous humans as coaches, like him, Mike Leach. Uh, I mean, the list goes on, but. You know, just guys that kind of they coach football well, but they're just, you know, kind of in a different plane of existence most of the time. <laughs> uh, I, as far as the team has gone this year, I mean, the record speaks for itself, just one loss, but um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, the offense. Because the defense actually, Oklahoma State defense, the Big 12 defenses in general don't have the best rep- reputations. Oklahoma State defense has played pretty well this year, by my viewpoint. Offensively, though, and I think you'd agree with this, it's been a little, you know, uneven at times. Now, whether that's COVID or just not executing, you have, you know, Chuba Hubbard, who's just incredible. We all know that. But quarterback Spencer Sanders, his numbers have been okay. There's been some timely mistakes. What's your, what's your take, your read on the offense so far going into this big game? Yeah, it's really tricky, honestly. Uh, you got a new OC who used to be the wide receivers coach, and he, you know, ID'd, recruited all these, you know, amazing college players. But there's always this, you know, conversation of Gundy's always calling the plays. But this season we haven't seen the screens or, you know, some of the more dynamic kind of formations. We're actually kind of running more of an inset a lot um, and trying to, you know, get numbers in the box. So, I think the biggest disconnect so far, though, is really, you know, Spencer Sanders. Everyone thought this would really be a breakout year for him. And when he has taken care of the ball, he's played exceptionally. But he has accounted for a boatload of turnovers and, as you mentioned, really bad timing when he's when he's committing them. So if he's not able to throw deep, which, you know, with Tylen Wallace out against uh, K-State, you know, that limited our offense completely because – the other wide receivers are all 5'8 and fast, but you don't have a guy that can go up and win the ball in the air. So, you know, we do have a great running back uh, backup in L.D. Brown, but, again, if, if you're not able to kind of balance your offense or at least air raid like we used to, which would open up the run, you really limit yourself. And, and especially with those turnovers, you can't 
you can't be as creative with the playbook if your quarterback is fumbling like crazy or throwing interceptions that just should not happen, you know, throwing it inside on an out route, easy pick for the defender. So that's where it gets tricky. I mean, I, I know there's been a lot of fans that were really happy with the freshman that stepped in after Sanders went down Shane Illingworth. Uh, you know, he, he won at Tulsa or won one against Tulsa, one against West Virginia, one against Kansas. So it kind of begs the question. It's like, would you rather have a less mobile quarterback? That's got a freaking cannon for an arm. Or would you rather have this dual threat guy? But it kind of opens up the same questions that we used to have with J.W. Walsh, with Clint Shelf, with, you know, some of these more mobile guys, but they just don't have the arm strength right. uh, or at least the decision-making to make multiple reads. And, and that's been kind of the knock on Spencer Sanders, too, is he really has been staring down one or two receivers and leaving entire sides of the field open. Like there were some plays against K-State where guys were completely naked running through the secondary he just didn't make the second or third read to see that they were open. So, you know, we're, we're excited. I, you know, I think we're excited as a fan base, but as a team that's just been hammered by OU our entire lifetime, (laughs) uh, that thought is just camping in the back of your mind. So, you know, if you had to ask me what I think is going to happen, I have no freaking idea in this one because if Spencer Rattler is playing like he has for the past couple games, Cowboys are going to get blown out. But, and if Spencer Sanders takes care of the ball and we get Chuba and LD going, you know, then the defense is going to take care of business. But we'll see. I mean, OU has some of the worst tackling in the country. So, you know, maybe this is when we'll really open up the playbook and try to get screens and ISOs on the edges to potentially break out. But. Big, big week for Spencer's. I was going to say as well. This is uh, uh, in quarterbacks named Spencer going head to head. It doesn't happen much, so you know, savor that one. Uh, Oklahoma is vulnerable. I think we mentioned that they started out, you know, sluggish, um, and and I was very critical of Spencer Rattler early. Uh, the K State game, the numbers were misleading. You know, and that might be the the common theme here. Iowa State, he played brutal, but it seems like Matt Campbell always gets Iowa State to play well somehow against Oklahoma. I don't know. I'm still I'm still not there yet with Rattler. I see it, but we want to make this connection like it's Baker, it's Kyler, it's Lincoln Riley gets a quarterback. We'll see. Because I do think your defense is going to be one of the toughest that he's faced this year. But I agree with the last part you said. If he plays like he's been playing, they're going to, Oklahoma will win comfortably. Now, whether that happens, I don't know. Um, you know, the history of the rivalry says one thing. This is not, you know, a common year. But I've got to think that you know, on the flip side, Spencer Sanders is going to have to clearly play the best game of his season for you guys to win. Now, he might be able to do that, the bad tackling. Uh, it might not happen, but I think it needs to for Oklahoma State to win. Uh, just one last note on Oklahoma, too. They really don't have any, like, what you would call beast skill guys this year. They don't have a running back. They have a running back by committee. Their leading rusher has 393 yards, and their leading receiver has 418 yards. But if you look down the depth chart, they've got about four or five at each position that score touchdowns and make plays consistently. So they're a committee approach this year. It's a different Oklahoma team, for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I had to say, like, if there was a year that we should take it, it's this one. But I've already seen the line, you know, coming from betting. And yeah, about they the touchdown. already have OU at, yeah, one touchdown. So it's I think it's really going to come down to who wants it more. I think – we're playing in their house, uh, so that's a big negative. But second, secondarily, you know, like it's a night game, and OSU gets up for big night games uh, and has historically. So, 
you know, for me, this is exciting, but I'm also terrified. But luckily, you know, like with the crapshoot that the season is, if we lose this game, it's not the end of the world. You know, there's still opportunities to to come back Mm -hmm. if that happens. But say Oklahoma State wins this one somehow back in the driver's seat uh, and join Iowa State as the only one lost teams with that that push over them. So, yeah. yeah. A lot, a lot at stake in this one. Uh, I would, I would take the points, Oklahoma State, but I'm not confident that they win the game. So that's where I'll split. That's where I'll hedge on that. Um, any more, anytime you can get more than a touchdown in a rivalry game like this, especially seven, seven and a half, is pretty good. Uh, not one, Rob here on the Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch effect. Not really a rivalry game that I would consider, but it is a top ten matchup. Ohio State's taking on Indiana, and they're about twenty point favorites in that one. It might sound cocky, it might sound arrogant, but uh, I'm not worried. <laughs> I think the Buckeyes are going to win pretty handily. Yeah, that's kind of my vibe. I think Indiana's really gotten kind of fortunate who they've played, when they've played um, off the top. Rutgers came off of a big win week one. Or, sorry, the Rutgers had a big win week one, and that's who they caught in the second week. Mm-hmm. They beat Penn State in that crazy thriller. I think Michigan's really bad, and then Michigan State is really, really bad. And so, Penn State too. I mean, Penn State's zero and four. <laughs> like, I mean, we're, they really don't have their, their best win has been Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. The Big Ten right now is just really entertaining to watch as someone who doesn't have any stake mm-hmm. uh, in that conference. But yeah, I mean, I, I I'm kind of right there with you. I think, uh, I think Ohio State's just got athletes out the wazoo and. Their wide receiver crew this year looks looks pretty saucy from the games I've watched with uh, John Rydell. So yeah. um, I, I'm, I would be as confident as you going into that one, and I think Vegas is uh, right along with you. <laughs> yeah, Fields looks pretty special. Uh, he's as accurate as any quarterback in the league and uh, will be a very high draft pick. My critiques of this team, and it's maybe not even going to be a factor until you know the Big Ten title game, assuming they get there in a, a game Wisconsin team's there. They don't have the running. They're, they're built differently. It's receivers, not running backs this year, which is kind of odd. But kind of how they've been, you know, built the running back position isn't the strength that, that the receivers are this year. Defensively, there is some question marks maybe on the back end of that defense. And again, that's just being spoiled with, you know, you know, all these cornerbacks that were first round <laughs> picks. So, you know, these guys could be there. There, there are NFL blue chippers in their back end, but they're not, you know. <laughs> the prime possession that run they've been on. So there might be some, some things there to clean up, but I just don't think this week in Indiana is the test. Uh, I do want to get your thought on one thing. You know, Michigan is going to Rutgers this week, and they're only nine-point favorites on the road. Michigan getting embarrassed by Wisconsin, a Wisconsin team that hadn't played in three weeks. I I don't know what's next. This looks like the end of the road for old Jimmy Harbaugh, but – I cannot believe he hasn't been able to get a quarterback, especially given a good quarterback, especially, Rob, with all the QB transfer rules where you can just pluck someone yeah. from another school who can play right away, and they still haven't gotten it. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, when Shea Patterson announced he was he was jumping up there, I was surprised he didn't perform as well as we expected. And Joe Milton, you know, I, I'm kind of shocked they don't use him more, uh, you know, to kind of be more creative in the offense. I just – I, I don't know what the disconnect is, but I think you're right. Like, this is definitely, you know, <laughs> this is beyond make or break time. It's like, unless you go on a run here, I can't imagine he's he's coaching at Michigan next year, much less is he still going to be in college football after all of the recruiting kind of ha-has we've seen 
uh, over the years. I mean, he, he's gotten some big names like Dax Hill um, and some other cats, but clearly not the players that he needs to beat a Wisconsin and Ohio State of Penn State. So no. No, uh, and I couldn't be happier. I just want to put that on the end there. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, it just hasn't happened. Uh, a couple more games I want to run through before we wrap this up, Rob. Uh, one that stood out for me, Clemson's going to Florida State, and they're about 33, 34-point favorites. I think they're going to cover this with ease. Florida State's terrible, and Trevor Lawrence is back. So I think this is going to be the, your, your big route of the weekend is what Clemson does to these poor Seminoles. Yeah, oh, 100%. I think Florida State's been uh, on a downhill skid for a couple of years, and we might be at the bottom of that, that valley right now. And uh, and uh, even though they're at home in Tallahassee this weekend, I think Tien and Lawrence are just going to have a field day and hopefully get that swagger back after that crazy game in uh, South Bend. If you're looking for an underrated, high-quality game, maybe not you know the big names, there's a good one at 9 a.m. on 9 a.m. Pacific time, Rob. Coastal Carolina, Appalachian I, State. I'm ready for I that one. I was hoping, <laughs> I was really hoping you'd bring that one up because that one I had circled on my screen right now. Um, man, that's going to be a dogfight because, you, you know, you got Coastal Carolina. They're feeling hot at number 15, and they're playing Appalachian State, who's who we know has spoiled a lot of a lot of parties. So. I will definitely have that on one of my TVs uh, come this weekend. <laughs> Coastal Carolina has probably the best locker room celebrations we've seen in a while. They've gone full WWE. They had someone come in as Stone Cold stunnering guys after with commentators and everybody counting. It was it was incredible. They're having fun and good and good for them. But that's one, yeah. That's one. Appy State. They they know how to play a big game, and that is an early game and one to get going right away. Uh, you know, speaking of teams that are having fun and doing well. Uh, Liberty keeps it going. They get North Carolina State this week, but they're playing with house money as well, watching what Liberty does. And now playing the game, where will Hugh Freeze end up and why it's probably going to be South Carolina after they fired Will Muschamp this week? Yeah, and, and rumors are what? Muschamp might end up on uh, Tennessee's coaching staff, I've seen, <laughs> potentially. Oh, so, so he's <laughs> not going to like that. Yeah. Sully's not going to like that. Um, any other games that we you know haven't talked uh, about so far that you you think stand out? Anything maybe in the Pac-12 slate or just anything off the top? Well, I you know I, I I'll pull it back to the Big Twelve. I think you know the uh, Kansas State Iowa State is if you want to watch mm. something that feels yeah. like old Big Ten football. Holy cow! That that <laughs> game is going to be a grind fest, yeah. a war of attrition. So. That one I had circled. I also had the uh, Wisconsin-Northwestern game just because I think, you know, we'll really get to kind of see what both those teams are in theory in this matchup. And with it being in uh, in Illinois, you know, rather than Wisconsin, who knows what could happen. And Wisconsin was kind of ravaged there for a bit um, by COVID. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of keep it, keep it going and then – and then also the Cincy UCF game. A lot of talk about UCF early on the season, mm-hmm. kind of stumbled recently. But if Cincinnati comes to play and and can end up blowing them out like they've done with a lot of teams this season, they're making a strong case for that. You know, if there's a one or two loss uh, team in the four spot, that they should deserve it if they go undefeated. You mentioned Wisconsin Northwestern. Assuming these teams get to play out their game, which is a big ask in 2020, this looks like a a, a trip on the line to the Big Ten title game with how they've started yeah. and how Wisconsin looks to finish. Um, 
big, big start for Northwestern, but Grant Mertz, that QB, looks like a baller. Like, he's the best one Wisconsin maybe has ever had. <laughs> and it's like a bold statement, and they haven't really had too many, but they were doing some things you hadn't seen a typical Wisconsin team do. Uh, I was just going to also throw in there, uh, Auburn plays Tennessee, and uh, this is probably when uh, when Pruitt loses all equity, as uh, the all good equity that he built up in the last two years if they get obliterated again. Yeah, it kind of begs the question, like, when do you move on from Garantano within this season to start building for next season? But I think you also kind of have to look at it from, like, where Pruitt's standing. Like, does it matter? Because is he going to last past this season? Who knows? Mm-hmm. So is he looking to save his job, or is he looking yeah. to make the team better in the long run? And, you know, if Tennessee doesn't come to play, it could be an ugly day in Jordan Air. The uh, most unimpressive 2-0 team I've seen in a while, USC, taking on Utah. I mean, they they are fortunate to have beaten two teams that Arizona State, it's a good story. They pulled that game out. How, how Arizona State looks, it's not it's not a it, – it could have been a close game. USC played bad but found a way to win. Arizona was picked to be dead last in the Pac-12, and it was another late game heroic that they had to pull out. Uh, not impressive and not good for the Pac-12 playoff case if that's how they're going to look. But we'll see. Utah hasn't played yet this year, and that's always a trap game going on the road to Utah. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be playing in Utah. It's going to be about 40 degrees. It's a three-point line. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would not be surprised if Utah shocks shocks USC and just punches them in the mouth. But who knows? This could be the game where USC kind of figures it out. Amon Ra gets going. Uh, Slovis starts slinging it. But I watched that whole uh, Arizona State game with them, and it's kind of the if they don't turn the ball over and make the plays they need to, you know, they should be a good team. But right now I just don't see the consistency from USC. But, again, we haven't seen Utah play, so who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah, we, we really know nothing about this one, so definitely stay away if you're gambling. Uh the uh, two SEC games that are projected and most likely to be routes, Florida over Vandy on the road and Alabama at home against Kentucky. I bring those up because as it stands right now with COVID, with cancellations, with players unfortunately contracting uh, the disease, the Heisman favorites right now are Kyle Trask and uh, Mac Jones with Fields and Lawrence you know, staggering based on missing some time. How do you see the Heisman race shaping out and uh, – I get the feeling, Rob, that it could come down to that SEC title game. Whoever has the better game might be the the QB, the winning QB that has the uh, Heisman at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I, if if they can stay healthy, I mean, it's there's there's to lose. So, you know, there really hasn't been the dominant players consistently. You know, mixing in the cancellations, the postponements, and then players getting COVID, and then the rash of injuries, uh, just because players aren't as fit because you know there's kind of these down periods. Yeah, I, I, I just there's no other player that's really jumping into my mind that would even compete for it. And you know, we've looked at I, I think it was Trask's Trask's stats right now are comparable to Joe Burrow's last yeah. season. I think mm-hmm. five fewer touchdowns or something. But if that's the stat line he can keep running with, and he keeps hitting uh, what's his name Pitts, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I really think it's I really think it's it's his to lose. But Mac Jones, I mean, he could. I mean, if he ends up pulling it out, I think, you know, this is going to sound weird, but I think he'd be the least exciting Heisman winner I've ever seen. It could be. Well, yeah, yeah, at least Eric Crouch ran. Maybe, I mean, maybe we can just keep bashing on the Sooners as Jason White. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but that was a different time, you know. That's yeah, where... that's true. And yeah. and and uh, you know, White had White had kind of built up a resume before he won it. Jones just kind of took over for Tua. Has done well. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's it's no knock on yeah. him, but it's just kind of you know. I think part of it is we're clouded by the fact that Alabama has so many beasts at skills, like they at skill position players. Like they lost Waddle, and they still have studs. Like it's just insane. Yeah, that's just unfair. I mean, that dude <laughs> is one of the most electric players I've ever seen, and Mac Jones is putting up these stats. You know, sans him. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, who's it? Devontae Smith is that his name. The receiver, the guy that's kind of uh, yeah. Devontae Smith is the one who's been you know picking up what they've needed. Uh, he was fourth string last year. He was the fourth receiver on the team last year because they had all those NFL players. Um, all right, last thing, and I had to save it with this because we're West Coasters now, and uh, you can always end your night if you're. You can always end your night with a treat, and uh, we get Hawaii, Boise State, eight o'clock Pacific time. There's nothing like a good Rainbow Warriors game. Add Boise State, a good team there. You can chase your bets. You can have football late at night. It's just the Pacific time zone experience. Oh, truly, yeah. You get that 8 p.m. kick. Hawaii literally is the wild card in every game they play you never know if they're gonna wake up and just light you up or uh if they're gonna have a down night where nothing goes right and they get blown out by 30 but aloha stadium at 8 p.m boise coming into town their one loss getting stomped by byu i foresee boise state taking care of business but you know i i'm gonna enjoy watching that one (laughs) i have to i have to tell this story before we go um I was speaking last week with a uh, broadcaster. I won't, I won't say who it is. I was speaking last week with someone that works in the industry and, and was very, you know, adamant for Pac-12 in the uh, day at nine o'clock. And uh, you know, I was like, you know, I get it, but I like to have those late night games too. And and he was more old school, and he was just like, yeah, I mean, but the late night games are just, you know, people at bars that are just getting really drunk and chasing all their gambling bets. And I looked him dead in the eye and I said, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like what I want in college football at the end of a long weekend is to have one more game if you can't sleep and you want to just, you know, keep it going, watch some football, hang out. So it's good to have that on the menu, too. I like I like Pac-12 at 9 a.m., but I like that late time slot, too, when we can get it. Agreed. Agreed. Especially when Hawaii is involved. Oh, yeah. You never know what to expect. Uh, Rob Crowder, this was a blast. Best of luck on your uh, to your Cowboys in Bedlam this week. And uh, best of luck in the uh, other sport that you're a big fan of, just accumulating first-round picks for your Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh, man, <laughs> Sam Presti, the god. Yeah, <laughs> him and David Griffin are going to have, like, every draft pick for the next five years. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be six, what is it? It's going to be seven reps of each on uh, in the lottery, just seven, <laughs> just seven Pelicans and seven Thunder, and it's just going to be who has what pick. Should be fun. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Rob, thanks for coming on. Fun as always. We'll be catching some games together at uh, some point, but uh, thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Always, brother. Stay safe. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks again to both Tyler Tesson and Rob Crowder for appearing as guests. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. A reminder that you can catch every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect, and it pops right up. Big shout-out again to uh, 
Shane Bieber, my boy, a former guest of this show who last week won the Cy Young. He won it along with Trevor Bauer from the uh, NL, both the Indians at the time. But Shane Bieber, current Cleveland Indian, having a record-setting year, winning the Triple Crown pitching statistics, ERA strikeouts and wins. A phenomenal job by him. Props to Shane Bieber. Keep it going, man. We, we love to see it. Uh, and you can catch the Money Mitch Effect also on the Facebook page, the Money Mitch Effect's Facebook page there. And follow me at Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. More college football, more NFL next week, along with other various storylines as we keep rolling along in 2020. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Keep enjoying sports. <laughs>